This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And welcome back as we continue our journey together. Today I want to take a look at a most unusual character in history who was a man of justice and spoke of justice and who is considered the last of the great prophets. I am talking about St. John the Baptist. Uh, I've been for a while wanting to study his life, and I just haven't got around to it uh, on this podcast, but today's the day. We should study the life of St. John the Baptist and his words, as he had so many significant things to say about social justice, and his life is definitely one that exemplifies love and justice. Now, he tends to have a picture painted of him as this rough, radical, kind of a punk kind of a guy, you know, out in the desert. But, you know, St. John the Baptist, like all of us, you know, he was a man of many colors, many layers. And in his early life, his father, Zechariah, was high priest. So St. John the Baptist grew up in the priestly uh tribe. He grew up with his father being high priest, uh, and he himself uh, would have been a priest um, in the line of Abijah, but he was a priest turned prophet. Now, in his, his birth is quite significant. His, uh, of course, St. John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus being the Messiah, John the Baptist being a relative of some kind. We're not uh, Scholars aren't quite convinced how Jesus and John the Baptist were related. It's usually said they're cousins, but I'm not exactly sure of what that exact relationship was. And the Greek word uh, for different familial relationships is rather broad. And so... Uh, but he was the forerunner, the one who who the prophets had said that there would be someone coming from the desert who would prepare the way for the Messiah, John the Baptist being that one. But yeah, his dad, Zacharias, was uh, a high priest, and it was his turn, the Gospels say, to go in and offer the sacrifice uh, in the temple. And so he goes in and... He sees the angel Gabriel. Now, what would you do if it was your turn as a high priest to go make the sacrificial rites to God? How would you respond if the angel, archangel Gabriel, just boom, shows up? It would scare you to death. And Zechariah was no exception. In fact, Mary is the only person in the Bible that was not did not have fear when an angel appeared to them. In fact, Daniel had such petrifying fear that he passed out. 
and had to physically recover from it. But Mary did not. In fact, the angel Gabriel had fear of Mary, uh, which should tell us something about her. But we won't get into that today. But John the Baptist's father, Zachariah, sees Gabriel, and Gabriel says, Hey, you're going to give, your wife is going to give birth a year from now to this forerunner of the Messiah. Well, uh, one thing to understand about Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth is they were well beyond childbearing years. So this would have created some issues for John or for Zachariah. So Zachariah doubted, and Gabriel caused Zachariah to be mute until the birth of John, and Gabriel told him to give him the name John. Well, when John was born, John the Baptist, and by the way, he's called John the Baptist because he used the method of baptizing his disciples, which was not the normal method then, to initiate disciples. But when he was born... People were trying to figure out, and they were doing sign language to Zechariah, like, hey, what's he supposed to be called? Or he's using sign language because he can hear, he just can't talk. So he's using signs, and then he tells people, give me a piece of paper. So he gets a piece of paper and a pen, and he writes down his name as John. And people are like, well, how could this be? There's nobody in the family line named John. But he said that, and it says as soon as he wrote that down, his mouth was open, he could speak again. And he gave this great canticle the canticle of Zechariah, it's known of as in the liturgy of the hours. And he he gives this praise to God saying, you know, hey, man, my son, <laughs> he gave us a son and he's going to be this great prophet. So John was a priest in the line of Abijah. So let's keep this in mind that John the Baptist wasn't just this rough renegade out in the desert. Rather, most of his life was spent understanding and learning and practicing the ritual uh, sacrifices of Israel. So he knew how to do those temple sacrifices. He was a, quote, seminarian, an ordained priest. So he knew how to do these things. And he very well, because of this, growing up in the household of Zechariah, John the Baptist may have rubbed shoulders with the well-known and the powerful he may have had Pharisees at his home and may have seen uh, some of the top-notch priests in his home. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer a few weeks ago in the podcast. We studied Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a martyr who died in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And Bonhoeffer grew up with his dad being the top psychiatrist in Germany. He had Albert Einstein and other well-known people in Germany at the time eating dinner at his house when he was a kid. Well, St. John the Baptist may have been the same way, may have known some of these big dogs, so to speak, in Israel. And he was trained in these religious rites, so he was very well acquainted with the religious tone of his day. So when he's now calling out the religious leaders on the carpet and calling the Pharisees out and all these people for their corruption— he knows what he's talking about because he's been up in their face since he was a kid. He knew the religious tone of Israel in that day. So when he spoke, he was speaking from authority, especially when he confronted these religious leaders. Now, St. John the Baptist would have had financial stability in his home as his dad, Zachariah, would have gotten a regular pension uh, for being a priest. So he had financial stability. And why am I saying all this? 
I'm, I'm painting a background for you to understand the man of John the Baptist. So when he becomes this man of social justice, a man calling people to be radical in their lives, this is crazy for a guy who really had it all. He had honor, he had prestige, he had stability, and he just says, forget it, I don't want it. Now, St. John the Baptist lived about 5 B.C., he was born around 5 B.C., 4 B.C., somewhere in there, and lived to be uh, to about 30 A.D., 30, 31 A.D., somewhere in there. So he was approximately 35, 36 years old when he died. <clears throat> but uh, who you are today, who you are as an as a individual is not random. Who you are has been sculpted by the events and people of your life. Your views and opinions are shaped by family, by people who have been influenced by, who you've been influenced by, by the books you have read, by where you grew up, and so on. And this is why we have to learn to listen to each other rather than talk down to each other, because we are all coming from different perspectives and experiences. So for example, I grew up in the Midwestern United States. I now live on the West Coast. So a lot of my friends now are people who are from the West Coast and we can tend to have varying opinions on things. Why? Because my perspective was shaped in the Bible Belt of Indiana and their perspective was shaped on the liberal West Coast. Mine was shaped by this uh, very stable family-oriented culture and their opinions and perspectives are shaped by a very unstable, restless West Coast culture. doesn't make them wrong or me right. It just means we have different perspectives and we need to listen to each other. So let's look at St. John the Baptist coming out. He now arrives on the scene. And he not so much turned his back on his upbringing as much as Ta uh, taking it to its natural conclusion. You know, St. John the Baptist is seen as this rebellious, radical, almost hippie guy, but he didn't really turn his back on his upbringing. What he did is took it to its natural conclusion, the aesthetic life in the desert. And he very well may have belonged to the Essenes, a group of monks out in the desert. So St. John the Baptist may have been a monk. Uh, I mean, we look at his teachings, same teachings as the Essenes. Also, he uh, um, baptized his disciples. That's something the Essenes did. It wasn't normal. You know, people circumcised back then, and he started practicing baptism. Now, his was not Christian baptism like Jesus instituted. Rather, it was just an initiation for his disciples to go through. So St. John the Baptist did not randomly show up in the desert. He was influenced by these monks that he knew. And John the Baptist sought to live out to fully embrace the kingdom of God rather than just muddle through religious practices mindlessly. He probably got sick of it. He probably saw these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these, these scribes growing up, and he just was probably just like, I am done with this. It's kind of like my generation. We grew up in a, you know, homes of, of strictness and, 
and and all these you know black and white rules and everything and there was just a point where he said we're done with that we want to know god without all of this stuff hanging on us and it's not that it was bad it's just how our generation reacted and so saint john the baptist was the same way he's like i'm just really done with all of the external stuff and i'm done with the 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 uh emptiness on the inside and not being intimate with God while having it all right on the outside. So he's like, I'm going down to the root. I'm getting into the interior. I'm taking the law of Israel that God has given us, and I'm going to take it to its radical, natural conclusion of the aesthetic life in the desert. He turned his back on stability and comfort. He said, I'm done with this. I'm done with the human comforts, and I want to know God. And so he turns his back on stability and comfort and embraced life in the desert. And by the way, it's interesting how the saints, a lot of the saints and a lot of the, the spiritual masters in the various religions all tend to end up in the desert. Where does Jesus begin his ministry? 40 days in the desert, being tempted by Satan. Where does John the Baptist go to the desert? Where does St. Paul and Galatians say he went after, right after his conversion, he went to the desert of Arabia. The desert fathers. Uh, Moses, where do we find Moses in the burning bush out in the desert? There's something that is about the desert where there are no distractions to distract you from God. And if you live near a desert region... Uh, I encourage you to get to as often you can. I, I only live an hour from the desert of central Oregon. And believe me, I get there as much as I can. Just get in the car and go. And there are places in Oregon, there's no city, there's no skyscrapers, there's no freeways, there's no sirens, there's no gangs and, you know, people yelling, no TV, no cell phone service. And I'm just there with these barren hills. And there's this one canyon that I love going to in Central Oregon. And I go into that canyon and, and I just like, man, I am so uh, undistracted. And it's so weird. Every, when I go there, as soon as I step out of my car, the silence is so intense that it's that, that kind of silence you feel it pressing in on you. You know, I have to get used to it. I have to adjust my body and mind to that deep silence. But when I'm there, I can actually hear God. <laughs> I can hear myself, you know, and, and become at peace because I'm not distracted by all these silly distractions we, we constantly have ourselves on. You know, we... We do that. Don't we're constantly, we've got, I see people walking around Portland. They've got these earphones on constantly listening to music and stuff, just not allowing themselves the chance at beautiful silence. So John the Baptist, he turns his back on the stability and comfort in the city, he goes out to the desert. He embraces life in the desert. He embraces discomfort wearing camel's hair clothing. He, he embraces a radical living out of the Jewish law. And another thing about him is he was no pushover. 
he very clearly and articulately confronted the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, and the crowds for their oppressive ways. I mean, here's the big dogs, these people of power, and right in front of them. He doesn't say it in a Zoom meeting where he's safely in a room and they're in a room thousand miles away. No, he is saying it to their face, standing right there, you brood of vipers. In other words, he was saying, your mothers are snakes and you are the offspring of a snake. So he was no pushover. He was articulate and clear on what he was calling people to. And he did the same thing to Roman soldiers. He called the Roman soldiers out on their greed and their corruption and their stealing from the people and the crowds. He just told all the crowds, you know, stop being oppressive. He called them out on their oppressive ways, their corruption and their greed. And at one point in the Gospels, because he's mentioned in the Gospels, uh, Mark, uh, Luke, John, I'm trying to think if he was mentioned Matthew. I know he's mentioned in Acts as well. But at one point in the Gospels, we see John the Baptist giving very clear directives to practice the universal distribution of goods. We'll talk more on this later. Now, in the Quran... Uh, the Holy Scriptures of the Muslims in the Quran, it describes John the Baptist as a strong man, yet gentle and compassionate. So he was very strong, very bold, and yet gentle and compassionate because he wasn't trying to take out these people. He was trying to bring them into the good life that he was experiencing. So we see his formation as a true warrior of justice, being a lifelong formation at various stages. And the same thing is true of you. You, you won't get uh, become this great person of justice overnight. It happens at various stages of formation. I haven't gotten where I have in the work I do. I didn't start last week, and here I am. It's been over the years, over the decades formation, enlightenment, understanding and practice and making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. Now, I won't get into John's prophetic role of being the preparer for the Messiah. We're focusing in this podcast on his teachings and life of justice. So let's look at his teachings. Let's learn from him what it means to be a person of justice. We see in the gospel of gospels, and acts that John lived a very austere life and taught hard things. He spoke of the imminent coming, the breaking in of the kingdom of God, and that the kingdom of God was not a physical kingdom like Rome, but was a person in Jesus Christ. Now, John may or may not have known that Jesus is the Messiah, as he did not know Jesus or as he did, rather, know Jesus as a relative, but may not have known that he was the Messiah. In fact, you don't see, you see him talking about the Messiah coming on the scene, but he doesn't name Jesus. In his prophet, prophecies, even though he knew Jesus, he did recognize Jesus at the baptism, of course. But later on, he had doubts as to whether Jesus was the Messiah until Jesus cleared things up for him. But his teachings were that the kingdom of God is breaking in with this Messiah. And in preparation for the Messiah is the practice of the universal distribution of goods. 
I find this very interesting, that John the Baptist, of all the things he could have said, hey, the Messiah is coming on, let's get prepared by praying more. Or let's get prepared, although they should have done that. Let's get prepared by uh, making sure you spend more time with your family, although that's a good thing. But that's not. The one thing he said, the Messiah is coming on the scene, therefore practice the universal distribution of goods. If you have two pairs of shoes and your neighbor has no shoes, give them a pair of shoes. If you have two coats and you see someone with no coat, give them one of your coats. Universal distribution of good. He said, repent and stay in the in the acts of repentance. And he named universal distribution of goods as an act of repentance. Therefore, I'm letting go of possessions in preparation for this Messiah. I find that fascinating. And it may seem odd to you, except that John understood that in the kingdom of God, there is no room for greed or hoarding. In fact, Jesus gives us the parable of the rich man and Lazarus parable. It could have been a real event, but where this rich man piles up stuff for himself and refuses to share it with the beggar Lazarus, Lazarus ends up in heaven and the rich man dies and ends up in hell. Jesus said, Hey, there is this universal distribution of goods and how you use your possessions is in direct relationship with where your heart is with God. For in God's kingdom is justice fairness, equality, and the dignity of all. And this is very radical for John to say these things. You know, today in our day, in a day of health and wealth gospel, it may seem radical for us to say these things as well. Well, the religious leaders of Israel were living high on the hog, so to speak. And in the midst of his own health and wealth gospel days, John says, well, actually, to prepare for the Messiah and to participate in the kingdom of God is about letting go of the stuff of this life and embracing Christ. He also taught faithfulness to the morality of the kingdom, as we see in his confrontation with Herod. So John the Baptist wasn't just preaching social justice in the sense of economics and equality and all that, but he also taught justice in relation to Herod sleeping, trying to think of what the relationship, did he sleep with his uh, stepdaughter? can't remember the relationship, but he slept uh, with Herodias' daughter, uh, wife rather, and Herod, John the Baptist tells Herod, that is unjust, it is a sin, you can't do that. Could you imagine a guy leaving the desert to come into the city to tell the king, you can't do that? And obviously he got beheaded and his life cut short as a result. But John the Baptist was very much in tune with uh, what the natural outcome of the Jewish law was. It wasn't rules and regulations, but a living out of love that led to concrete actions, such as sharing one of my coats with my neighbor who has no coat. Very concrete, very practical. So social justice, according to John the Baptist, it's not about all these rules and regulations and externals. It's about this radical love that comes from God, and then I live it out. And then I don't have to be told to share my coat with my neighbor, but if I'm living in this radical love, I've already let go of my coat anyways, and therefore my neighbor can have it because they need it. 
very concrete and practical. Now, the the prophets uh, spoke about uh, who prophesied about John the Baptist, so prophet Isaiah, who prophesied about the prophet. <laughs> Interesting there. He says, uses the phrase about John the Baptist, make his paths straight, that the forerunner, who now we know as John the Baptist, would make Christ the Messiah's path straight. Why? Because we have made the paths crooked. And by the way, John the Baptist says it to the crowds, make his path straight. Because by your unjust acts, you have made the paths crooked by your corrupt ways, so straighten them out through repentance. <laughs> you see, corruption is a crookedness in the path. Holiness is a straightness, a fluid way of living. And John the Baptist says, make the path straight, repent. If you've goofed up and blocked up the path with all these, these uh, branches and all kinds of things of sin and and greed and selfishness and worldly distractions cleared the path, set it on fire. In fact, St. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming, that is Jesus, who will baptize with fire. You see, so set the path on fire and clear out the junk so that you can create a straight and just path to walk on. He talked, John the Baptist says, make the mountains low, fill up the valleys. In other words, uh, you know, you see there the equalizing of the classes. N John the Baptist saying, no more of these super rich and super poor. Let's bring everybody on the same plane. Now, in Luke 3, I won't break it down, but I encourage you for sake of time, uh, I encourage you to, on your own, read Luke's account of John the Baptist teaching in Luke chapter three. Just take time to read that out. Luke chapter three, and, and you'll get a real sense of what John the Baptist was all about when it comes to living a just life. So what does this all mean to us? It means that if we want a just world, we have to realize that it does not come in some grandiose way, but rather in concrete daily actions like giving a coat to someone who has none. And by the way, John the Baptist does not suggest, you ready for this? Are you listening? John the Baptist does not suggest donating a coat to an organization, but that you relate to another human by giving them the coat yourself. John tells us that the kingdom is here and now, and that you are invited to be part of it. And this is what it looks like. Repent. But what does repentance look like? It looks like stopping our greedy, corrupt, oppressive ways and beginning a new life of charity and justice as we create a just society right where we are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis a common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through matradayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.